This is the ground floor. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to yet another edition of The Ground Floor. My name is Jesse Finver, your host, and with me today, we have somebody who I've been meaning to actually talk to for a very long time. Uh, he is one of, I'll, I'll preface it this way, he is one of the original Joe Paterno recruits. Joe Paterno is the Penn State football coach from, I believe it was 1966 until 2012. And uh, I went to Penn State, obviously. If you guys didn't know that, then uh, you need to do your homework. And uh, I've, been, uh, I've been a Penn State fan ever since I, I went to school there from 2013 to 2017. And... Um, I think I, I, I first heard of you actually after I graduated, though. Um, Charles Pittman played running back for Joe Paterno back in 19, from 1967 to 1969. Welcome to the show. Jesse, it's great to be here. It's, it's at my age and time, it's nice to be remembered. Oh, absolutely. How can we not? I mean, listen, you played on two should have been national champion teams, right? So. Yeah, we had a great we had a great run. Um, we had a, a terrific football team. Once Joe Paterno instituted the the sophomores that came in with me in 1966, we never lost a game after that. So it was a great run. And we'll get to that. That I have I have question I have a lot of questions for you, obviously. Okay. So we, we we will don't you worry. We will get to that. But I want to start at the beginning with you. Um, you grew up in, you're from Baltimore, right? Um, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Did you grow up around Baltimore or in, within the city of Baltimore? I'm right in the city of Baltimore. Where in Baltimore? West Baltimore. West Baltimore. All right. Yeah, West Baltimore. So I watched The Wire. Um, that's my only familiarity with right. Baltimore other than the Ravens and the Orioles. You're, you're um, close to me. So that's close to like where The Wire took place. That's kind of close. Right. Do you remember the uh, Freddie Gray incident uh, several years ago? Of course. Yeah. I'm right in that neighborhood. Wow. All right. So yeah, you're you're you are in the I'm heart in of Baltimore. It. Yeah, you are in it. I'm hardcore. So. <laughs> oh, so, let me tell you this way. I was hardcore. <laughs> so, what was 1950s Baltimore like? Oh. In 1950s. I'm in what we would call one of the poor parts of Baltimore City, but I was poor and didn't know it because we had a great family structure, uh, a tough dad and a great mom who made sure the Pittmans was somewhat different than everyone else, uh, didn't want, didn't subscribe to the theory of, Mom, everybody else is doing that. Why can't I do it? She said, because I say you can't do it. <laughs> and if you want to argue that, your dad's in the next room. And we didn't want to deal with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we knew the rules. Um, Mom wants 
wanted nothing but the best for her children. Uh, and father was the enforcer to make sure it happened. And we told the line and we were all great students. Um, my mother was a valedictorian when she graduated from high school and she produced two valedictorians, my sister and my brother, I was the one who was not, but I was close. I went to, I graduated from Emerson High School. I was uh, 34th out of a class of a thousand students in ranking. Um, I was an all state performer. We worked hard and we did well in school and we were prepared to go to college. Schools were still segregated back then though, right? Uh, somewhat. When I went to Edmonton High School, which is a little further west and um, south of where I lived, had just integrated. So, um, um, what was that I like? Say, I would say it was 50-50, black and white when, we, when I started there. And perhaps by the time I graduated, it may have been 80-20, black to white. Wow, so a lot of the white kids... Left, left, right. Yeah. So, what what was that like? I mean, you get into high school and this, I mean, uh, such it, a historical it, it was, event happens. Well, it was a, a unique experience because up until this point, I never had a white teacher. I had all black teachers, and and I never had a white classmate. So, it it, it took some uh, adjusting on on our part. Um, and we had to believe and that we could compete uh, and we could compete. I think my parents raised us to compete, not only academically, but athletically. Um, and you had could tough, compete. had tough teachers and, it was, and a tough principal, Carl, Colonel, Carl Rankin. He was a military, retired military Air Force guy and he ran the school like him for military. And we, he had the rules and we followed them and we enforced them. And um, so the discipline was great. So I was used to discipline when I went to Penn State and played for a coach who was a tough disciplinarian. So I, I, I was reared the right way. You were prepared. I was prepared. Yeah. So speaking of football, uh, was it high school you first started playing or did you, or did you play Pop Warner? Oh, no. I played – I – Played sandlot football. That's where that's where I honed my skills. And then um, I went to Edmondson High School. I'd never been on an organized football team. And I remember to this day, the first day we went out for practice, and we didn't even have uniforms, but we were playing sort of semi-tackle football. And the, and the players who were competing to try to make the team could not tackle me. They just couldn't tackle me. And the coach, Coach Augie Wobble said, get that guy a uniform. <laughs> it's like out of a movie. Yeah, get that guy a uniform. And, but that was the second day. The first day, I didn't get a uniform. So I went back the next day, determined that I was going to get a uniform. And they could not tackle me. So, so he said, get this guy a uniform. So how old were you at this point? A 16. 16 and right. nobody nobody could move you how, how what, what was your how big were you in high school i was not very big i was about six feet 178 pounds uh, you, you got you got a bit bigger than that 
Yeah, well, not much. I went to Penn State. I graduated from Edmondson High School at 182 pounds. So I went, I went to Penn State weighing 182 pounds. I played my first two years around 185 pounds. I got to remember that also that like the athletes today are just way bigger and way more weight training. I I, I can't forget that. You're right. You know, right. so that makes, that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. Um, so, yeah. They're bigger, stronger, faster, quicker. Yeah. Right. So right. high school, uh, was there a moment where you realized I'm, I'm pretty good at this football thing, like outside of the whole, like they couldn't tackle you part. Was there a game where you just like kind of went off or was there a moment? Like when did, when did, let me put it this way. When did you get discovered by Joe Paterno? Um, in the 10th grade is when I went to Edmondson High School and we had to play JV football because our school, we had over a thousand students in our graduating class. So we had to go to school in shifts. So I went in the afternoon shift from 12 to 4, 15. So there was no way I could play varsity as a, as, as a, as a sophomore. So then my junior year, um, my junior year, we went out for the varsity team and I made an impression quite quickly as a, as a fullback. And um, like I said, they, they couldn't tackle me. They just couldn't tackle me. What did you guys run, the wing T? Wing T, yeah, we ran a wing really? T. Yeah, wing T. Wing T. And Augie Wobble was a coach and we went 22 and 0 once I, that year we won one in 11 in a row two years in a row and i remember i was a state scoring champion i competed against chuck foreman of uh, of frederick maryland and i was a scoring champion and we were undefeated and we couldn't be beat they had a great team you never you, you didn't lose many games did you throughout your whole football career uh, nope, I lost. <laughs> I didn't lose. I did not lose at Emerson High School once we got on the varsity team. So that was that was 22 in a row. And then I went to Penn State. Um, as a freshman, we only played two games, but I couldn't. <laughs> I was the best back, in my opinion, in the freshman class. But yet I was the third team running back. Of course, of course. And then, and, and then the only thing you got to do as a freshman was to be the scout team for the for the next game for the varsity. Right. So every every week I got to be an All-American. One week I was Mel Farr. One week I was Floyd Little. One week I was Clint Jones. One week I was Bobby Anderson. I got to be the other team's best running back every week. And I literally gave them headaches. <laughs> So I got I got to the point where I stopped trying to, to make them look bad because I wasn't the one. But I said to myself, if they can't stop me, how are they going to stop Mel Farr? How are they going to stop Clint Jones? <laughs> hey, you you bring up excellent points. I mean, yeah. you, quickly after that, you started. I mean, you started playing. Right. But and then one, I, then we we played two games my freshman year. Once against Pitt and once against West Virginia. Um. I didn't play much the first game at all. And I remember walking dejectedly 
to practice the, the next Monday and I ran into Coach Paterno. And he said to me, well, gee, Charlie, how, how was the game this weekend? I said, I didn't play much. I carried the ball uh, two times for 14 yards. He said, well, the next time someone asks you that, tell me you average seven yards a carry. I said, whoa, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I, I never thought of it that way. And then he, walked, and then he walked away with this gentleman that was with him. And I heard him say, and maybe he wanted, he said it loud enough for me to hear it. I don't know. But maybe he said it just to encourage me. But he said to the guy, that's the guy that's going to make me a great football coach. And I overheard that. And boy, did my chest pop out. Did I start <laughs> walking with a bounce in my step? And, and, and Paterno had a way of motivating and inspiring people in some ways that you would never even think of. And I think in my all my time at Penn State, that line right there, that sentence that he said, propelled me um, to the success that I had at Penn State. He probably didn't know that at the time, but maybe he did. Did you, ever let, him, did you ever let him know? Did you ever let him know? Did you ever let him know? Oh, yeah, I let him know that. And then <laughs> the, the other time, the other time, he, uh, Bobby Campbell was, a, was a, a year ahead of me, and he was the, the star tailback um, prior, prior to me playing there. Mm -hmm. And Bobby Campbell, my sophomore year, Bobby Campbell got hurt in our third game. And then that's when I became a starter. I took his place. Uh, up to that time, I was playing behind him. I wasn't starting. I wasn't getting any playing time. But he got hurt against uh, UCLA. And um, and I started the second half. And then Bob Campbell came back, I think, three or four games later. And, and, and Joe said, blue team in the huddle. Blue meaning the first team in the huddle. We were ready to do some practice and run some plays, and we both went to the tailback position, Bobby Camel and I. And I thought I'd earned the job, and he thought it was his job. And Joe Paterno said, Camel, get out of there. This is Charlie's job. Whoa, what a vote, what a vote of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. What a true vote of confidence. And there are two things that I remember coming from Joe Paterno that gave me the desire to give him all I had, gave me the desire to be as good as, as I practiced and wanted to be. And, and it was just two little sentences like that became motivational sentences for me. So as it turned out, Bob Campbell, who, and I don't mean to put him down in any way, he was an excellent, excellent, excellent running back. Uh, Joe Paterno reconstructed the offense so both of us could play at the same time. But That's I played I played the tailback position. That was your job. That was my job, yes. Yes, sir. All right, so looking back, Penn State was, before Joe Pa, it, it, Penn State was kind of like an afterthought. You know, it was this agricultural school for a long time, and obviously it became Penn State and what we know it is. But, you know, Rip Angle, Bob Higgins – just never like any sustained success as head coaches. And then in 66, 
Paterno arrives, they go five and five. None of them are his guys, right? You know, he didn't get to recruit right. anybody. Um, what was your first impression? Because you just gave us a bunch of great insight um, into what kind of what kind of man, what kind of motivator Joe Paterno was. But what kind of first impression did you receive when he first started recruiting you? That first meeting, I don't know if he came to your house in Baltimore or if it was on a, on a visit to Penn State. What was that first interaction like? Well, Joe didn't even recruit me. George Welch, the, um, the offensive coach, actually recruited me. Mm. And, and Rip Engel at the time was still the head coach. And before I signed, Rip Engel announced his retirement. And Joe Paterno was named the head coach. Um, so what were your thoughts on that? Like when that happened? Then, my thoughts then, I called Penn State and told them that I wasn't coming to Penn State because I don't know anything about this guy named Paterno. <laughs> so Maryland, Lou Saban was the coach at Maryland at the time. I called up Maryland and said, all right, I'm coming to Maryland. Uh, I'm not going to go to Penn State. Just as I hung up the phone, it rang and it was Paterno on the phone trying to convince me trying to convince me to come to Penn State and not to change my mind. And I said, well, I was coming for Rip Engel. I don't know anything about you, Coach Paterno. He said, but Rip Engel grabbed the phone so I can show you nothing will be lost. Joe's going to be a great football coach and you will enjoy playing for him. Uh, I said, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you tomorrow. I got right off the phone and called Maryland, who saved it in Maryland, and told him that I was not coming to Maryland. I'm going to uh, go to Penn State. And he said to me, always these one lines things. He said, Charlie, if you come to Maryland, I guarantee that you can start as a sophomore. If you go to Penn State, do you think that you can start as a sophomore? Well, right there, he doubted my ability when he made that statement. He doubted and he admitted that his program wasn't as good, in his opinion, as the Penn State program. Guaranteed I could start there, but wasn't so sure I could start at Penn State. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to show you that I can start as a sophomore. And uh, I called, I got off the phone, called Penn State back and said, I'm definitely coming. I'm coming to Penn State. So that little, little nuances like that. Yeah. Things people say can become pretty motivating and can, can get your juices flowing and make you want to prove people wrong or show the talent and skills that you have. So. Absolutely. That's great. I mean, who would have thought Nick Saban, Nick's the greatest, the, 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 let's, let's call him the winningest, like championships wise, Nick Saban, you know, his dad is the reason is probably the reason why you picked Penn state, right? Right. Small world, huh? Small world. Uh, So you go from the streets of Baltimore 
to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, the I had the, <laughs> literally the middle of nowhere. And back right. then, State College was like way less developed than it was what? now. Right. Beaver Stadium's capacity was like around 46,000 people. Yeah. Was there like a culture shock of going from Baltimore oh. to rural PA? Because like Maryland, it's like College Park. It's near D.C. It's near Baltimore. You'd be, right. You wouldn't be going too far from home. Right. Going to the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, what was, was was there a culture shock? And also, what did your parents think of that? My parents wanted whatever I wanted and supported me in whatever decision that we made, that I made. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it was a cultural shock. You know, like I said, when I went to high school, it was as my first white classmates, first white teachers, first white principals I ever had. And then I go to State College. Wow. <laughs> Rural State College, where they didn't even have black barbers or black yeah. store owners or black football coaches even. <laughs> and 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 everything was white there. And I had um, a roommate Jim Cates, who was a tough linebacker from from um, New Jersey, Plainfield, New Jersey. Oh, that's right near me. That's like right. 20 minutes away. Right, Plainfield, New Jersey. He was my roommate, and, um, and we were only two black players on the team at the time. Um, and I, I still remember when they tried to make freshman players entertain the upperclassmen and wanted us to stand up and sing and dance for them. And I felt very odd doing that, very uncomfortable doing that, and was reluctant to do so. Again, Paterno interceded and called that off and said, uh, Let's move on to someone else. He, he got me out of a situation that I really didn't want to be in. Um, he, so he saved me in that regard too. And then they test you before, before you actually start going to classes. They predict how they think you will do at Penn State. I don't know if they still do. They probably don't do that now. But on my testing, they predicted that I would not make it to my sophomore year. Like academically? Academically. Jeez. And, and <laughs> like... I, I was a pretty good student, but, but I was shocked when I got that prediction. But again, it was a challenge. Extended to me, when you offer me a challenge, I'm not going to back down from the challenge. Yeah, they give you a chip on your shoulder. Like, they literally, yeah. they, like, that, that, I mean, obviously that's terrible. They're like, you know, but also at the same time, it's just, you know, it, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, wow, like, all right, I guess that's what I'm going to be. Or that, you think that's what I'm going to be? Really? Right. Like, I'm going to, yeah, exactly. Right. So from being predicted to flunk out, I went from that. And I graduated as an academic All-American. So it takes a challenge sometimes to motivate people to do the right thing. 
Um, but you can just see the challenges that I was afforded at Penn State. Yeah. And they all turned out to be things, great motivational tools for me. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. You know, you played football as a black man in the 60s. You said you were one of two black guys on your football team. At right? the time, my freshman at the time. Year. Was there any issues with racism during your time playing ball? Like any specific stories, like if you like, like road games, um, you know, anything that like stood out to you where you were just like taken aback, like completely disgusted by like the things. Well, I remember a couple, a couple games specifically. Uh, we played um, North Carolina State in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, my um, sophomore year, my sophomore year, and they were they were like the number one defensive team in the country at the time. And um, boy, every time every time I got tackled, and it was at the bottom of that pile, it was some vicious name calling going on. Um, Jeez, talking about my relatives, my friends, my sisters. <laughs> Things like that, but um, but again, that's motivational. That's motivational. And then and then that year, the other time that year, we went to the the Gator Bowl, and we played in in um, Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, we played Florida State, and our we we our locker room was actually. Before the game and halftime, was a tent outside off the field. Oh, and were they um, name calling, banging on our tent, calling us all kind of names? Um, and Joe said to me, he had alerted me. He said it's going to be tough when you go down south and play against this team. I'm just going to let you know, but this will be your opportunity. To show the nation how good a football player you are, and let that be your motivation, other than those things. So we get ready to go on the field, and all of a sudden, Dixie broke out the song "Dixie." <laughs> they went wild in that stadium, just wild. I, I was, I was shocked. That we had to play in a uh, in a crowd like that, a rowdy crowd like that. They beating all on our tents, and and then the national anthem played, and it was nothing. They, they loved Dixie, and then but every every play, every play, name calling, name calling, name. But I let the I let the game in rush. I think I rushed for 124 yards or something, scored a touchdown. We didn't win the game. Yeah, I was gonna get. I was gonna get to that. I was gonna. All right, I that was the next thing I was gonna bring up. Your first season, you guys go eight two and one, right? Right. You played at two or three games. You started the the only the games you started, you won. Right. Except game, I didn't start it. I didn't start. Except for the Gator Bowl. The Gator Bowl. Where you guys tied? How? How do you? So ties we were, we, I mean, let me tell you that story. You know, that's over 50-something years ago, and I still remember it. 
Um, How could you not? You tied a football game? We, it was happen? 17 to nothing. We were leading them 17 to nothing. Oh, my goodness. And, and then they um, they intercepted a, intercepted a pass and only had a real short way to go in for a touchdown. And now 17 to 7. They should have handed you the ball. Uh, right, probably. But then they kick off. And I fumbled the kickoff. Oh, Charlie, no. They recover. Now it's 17 to 14. And was this in the fourth quarter? Yeah, yeah, fourth quarter. Oh, my Lord. And then we had, um, it was 17 to 14, and then we went for, we went for, uh, it's a fourth and one on our own 20. Joe Paterno learned a real lesson on this one. We went for it. On your own 20? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, we didn't make it. The anal oh, oh, yeah. You, you, do tell. Yeah. The analytics crowd that listens right, to this is going right. to be, lo be losing their minds. <laughs> right. Wow. And so what? So then you guys went to overtime and it just tied no, and that no, was no. it? No, they they um they drove the that twenty yards and it goes down to fourth and two on the goal, fourth and goal on the two yard line. And instead of going for it, they kicked the field goal. Oh my god. Was their coach yeah. Bobby Bowden back then? Bobby Bowden. Oh my god. They, they, they went for they went for the tie. Who does that? Who does that? That's like I, I guess that makes me feel gross just even thinking about right. it. Right, we went for the tie, and, and they tied it up, and that's that's our only that's the only blemish we had. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And I hadn't fumbled all year long, <laughs> not once. And then that happens. And that happens. That's brutal. Oh brutal. my goodness. So that's how that's how we got the tie, and then we and then um we and went then, all the way. Yeah, and then things started to get better. So after that, the winning started and it really never stopped. You guys went to two stopped, Orange right, Bowls. Right. You guys went to back-to-back -back Orange Bowls. You won both of them. You were 11-0. Right. What, do you, what do you remember about those seasons? What made those teams so special? Well, we had great football players. We had a great defense. If I had to – I didn't play against a team all in all 32 games or whatever it is I played that was as tough as our defense. And we had Mike Reed, we had Jack Ham, we had Dennis Einkamp, we had mm -hmm. uh, Steve Smear, we had John Ebersole, who got to be the toughest man I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and they just couldn't move the ball on us. And whenever we practiced, and Joe would yell out, all right, scrimmage, blue against blue. Bing! That means one number one offense gets number one defense. That's uh, in, in what is it? Immovable objects. Immovable. Objects. We, yeah, we, versus no, First thing I wanted to know, where's Mike Green? <laughs> well, when I come out the huddle, the first thing I look, where is he? And then the other one was, where's John Ebersole? If I knew where those two were, I could do okay. But I tell you. They were smart, they were very intelligent football players, and they were mean, and they were tough, and they were competitive. 
And um, and that's what kept us in most games. We, we could run the football with anybody in the country because my senior year, we only threw one touchdown pass the entire year. One. Really? So that, was six, that was 69. Yeah, but we had Franco Harris, Lado Mitchell, and me in the backfield. We didn't have to throw. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. We just didn't have to throw. Even just you and Franco would have been fine. Right, that's right. So we, 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 didn't, we didn't have to throw. One touchdown pass our senior year. That's it. Hey, and then you graduated. And that should have been an interception because I had to wrestle the ball away from the defender oh in order God. for it to be a completion. And you caught the touchdown pass? I caught a touchdown pass. That's the only <laughs> one. And then you guys, you, you graduate, and they go seven and three, and then they go back to winning and everything. Right, but, they go back to winning. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. It's amazing. The fact, yeah, that's unbelievable. So I'm going to change gears a little bit. We've talked about a lot of positive things. I have a question that I don't really ask people very often, but I'm interested to hear uh, your answer on this. Do you have any regrets from your playing career at all? Anything like, you know, too often I'll do an interview and the only, I only like will focus on the positives, you know, like all the things that they've accomplished. But so, so often, like there's just so many things like whether it's an athlete or a broadcaster or, or a comedian or whatever, whoever I'm talking to, I never really get down to the things where like, I, 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 I've never asked anybody about like things that they regret or things that they would have changed. So, you know, what were yeah. your, what were your struggle? Like other than, you know, the racial, the racism that we talked about already, what were yeah. some of your struggles? What were, what were some of the moments you wish you could take back and do over other than that fumble in the right. Gator ball? Well, that doesn't bother me as much as, cause that happens. I mean, I wasn't known as a fumble, yeah. but um, yeah, I wasn't cocky enough. I wasn't confident enough mm -hmm. in my ability as I am now, I'm more confident now than when I played. So a, a lot of time, I didn't fit in in locker rooms where all the joking and playing around and horsing around that they did in locker rooms. I'd be reading a book or something. And, and I didn't appear to be one of the team members. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't mesh. And so therefore, and when they would hang out at night, go out, I didn't hang out. I, I was too, too into trying to be straight and narrow, a straight arrow. And so it, it appeared that I wouldn't be a good teammate. And if I, if I had it to do over again, I would have socialized more. I would have horsed around more in the field. I would have, I would have worked harder at becoming a better teammate in terms of a friendly teammate type player. I think, and I would have been a lot more cocky and confident in my ability to play. When did you realize this? After I was out of the league. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize it. Out of the I NFL. Yeah, just in the NFL. Yeah, it worked. It worked at Penn State, but but when I got in the NFL, I don't think it, my ability to play had anything to do with my ability not to play in the league. 
I think I had the ability to play. You know, I had all the size, stamina, speed, knowledge, but did not appear to enjoy it as much as some of the other players did. And 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 maybe right, maybe that was right. I didn't enjoy it as much. So when my playing days were over, it was more of a relief than a disappointment. Interesting. And that's, and that's because I didn't make good friends. I, I didn't. I didn't. There was nothing it, like you were holding on to, right? Like, right. There was nothing you were like gonna like quote unquote miss. You know, right, like right. very often when I listen to athletes or even the prognosticators, right? People who are on TV, right? Something you hear over and over and over again, again is, you know this guy doesn't love the game that guy he he eat he eats sleeps and breathes football okay. right and like i i want the guy who like jamal adams when he was drafted by by, by the jets you know right. he he was like yeah I, I i'm gonna die on the football field like that's like what i wanted like there's like those guys and right. then there's other side of the spectrum like the ryan leafs who like right. punch a reporter in the locker room and like shove your teammates out of the way and they're going through some stuff. You sound like you're kind of somewhere in the middle there, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you, you just, you didn't, would you say, I mean, you, you would you say you enjoyed playing football or was it something that I, was just come, I, something that you were good at and something you just ended up doing? Because it feels like now, bat, like looking, like who you are now, I mean, it sounds like you love football. Yeah, I do. I, I just, I just didn't like what came with it. <laughs> I didn't like what came with it. The horsing around, the playing around, uh, the hanging out. But you know, for teams to actually function well, I think you almost have to be willing to do that. Um, you, it's like you gotta be in the trench trenches together. Yeah. And, and I was outside the trench. Except. Well, it didn't affect when, winning. I'm sorry. It, that didn't affect winning for you in college, you know, like you guys. No, it didn't. Um, but I, I hung out a little bit more in college than I did yeah. in the pros. I just didn't feel like I knew them well enough to to actually mingle and mesh with them. And and I, that's a regret somewhat that I have today. I was going to wait for the NFL talk, honestly. Um, but now that you bring that up, I mean, was there nobody that – kind of took you in and and like tried to like mentor you when you got drafted like was there no like you got drafted by the cardinals right correct um, so and then you went to the baltimore colts in 71 was there no one that like was like took you under their wing like, i don't know a lot about this the, well, the, the 1970s my, cardinals, my, my rookie year in the league the league the, the players were on strike all right, so <clears throat> when I went to camp, there was nothing but rookies there. The veterans were not there. And I was having a tremendous camp. And everything that they were writing was about how well I was doing. And then all of a sudden, the strike was settled. And the veterans came in. First thing they want to know is, where's this Charlie Pittman guy? <laughs> where, is, where is this? We want to see how good he really is. Right. They had Johnny Rowland. They had Larry Steegan with the number one pick. He was a running back. 
they had um, Roy Shivers um, Sid Edwards and, and MacArthur Lane MacArthur Lane was probably the best of all of them and uh, the first the first exhibition game they told me I was going to start the second half and I started the second half and I I had some great runs, took the ball down to like the seven yard line when I was gaining six and seven yards every carry catching and and people were loving it. Then they took me out. They scored a touchdown after I did all the work. And then I couldn't get back in the game for some reason. They didn't put me back in. And the people in the stands were cheering, we want Pittman, we want Pittman. But they didn't put me back in. And then um, after, after that, I didn't get to see much of the ball because mm -hmm. they had they tried they had nothing that short time to get the team ready to start the season. So they kept saying, "Well, we got to get our veterans ready. We got to get our veterans ready." And then they had a number one draft to us named Mary Stegen, who who was a running back ahead of me, but not as good. And but they had to make him work. And he got hurt. So did Charlie Winner, your coach, did he just, did he give you a reason? No. No? And like, well, I'm assuming no. you asked him, right? Like you. No, I didn't ask him. Didn't ask him. Again, <laughs> perhaps I should have played a little bit more outspoken today than they were then. So then I, I was, I was, the season started and I was the return man, kickoff return guy. Yeah. And I was like, first in our division is returning kicks. And we we went eight no to start the season, and I was counting the Super Bowl money because <laughs> we thought how good we looked. And then we went up to went up to Yankee Stadium and played the Giants. Fran Tarkenton threw for six touchdown passes against us. After Larry Wilson, who was an All Pro safety, they had a, some type of um, rally. Right before, before we went up to New York, and he talked about what we were going to do to to the Giants and fan target. We're going to stick that ball down his throat, and he stuck it down our throat. So then, by the reason I'm where I'm going there, after that game, we're now like eight and eight and one. Then we lose the next game. We're eight and two. So then uh, Charlie Winter comes to me and says, "Well, we're going to go with veterans on the kickoff return team." So we're going to put you on the taxi squad. Chuck Lauderette, who led the league in kickoff returns and punt returns the year before, fumbled <laughs> three times in the next three games and lost two of them. Ooh. And I'm sitting there saying, wow, why? Why me? Why me? Why me? So it sounds like you were a victim of circumstance. I was a victim of circumstance. And then I um then they cut me. And then the, the Baltimore Colts picked me up. My home team. Oh man, you couldn't wait. Yeah. Couldn't wait to do that. Playing with John United. <laughs> John Mackey. Yeah. Great player. People I grew up admiring, right? And then, uh, but I couldn't get in the game, but Ted Hendricks was on that team too. And Ted Hendricks, we played against him in college and he, 
he used to sing my praises all the time, but they wouldn't give me the ball. And then you were, um, you were 23, right? And right. They, really they really never gave you a shot. Right. Never gave me a shot. But then um, um, Ernie Acorsi, who was the general manager, he was the PR guy then. He became general manager later. He's the PR guy for the Colts. And he came from Penn State. And he gave, he would send out releases talking about how well I was doing. You read that in my book. He, he writes about it in one of the forwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would send out press releases all the time talking about how great a camp I'm having, how well I'm doing. And Don McCaffrey, the coach, went to him and told him to stop doing that. He told him, you're going to make it difficult for me to cut him. I didn't know that at the time, but in in, in the in the board he writes about that. But long story short, I was averaging seven yards a carry doing the scrimmages. I should have I should have been playing, and then um, I got cut by a guy who was blind in one eye, <laughs> and I could outrun him backwards. Tom Nowatsky. That was the guy that they replaced. They replaced you with. Mm-hmm. And so after that, you were just done. You were just like this. Yeah, is my partner, I wasn't in it. Yeah, I was. It was. I didn't go to. I didn't go to college to be an NFL player. Um, I went to be a, a successful executive, and and that's where my heart was. And I got out. I got out healthy and and this is not sour grapes it's just that that's just yeah, the way just, it works yeah just that's <clears throat> that's just kind of how it happened honestly, but like... honestly when i went to the colts that year lodell mitchell was there he and i competing for the same job and quite frankly they weren't a better set of backs yeah I mean, we, hey, listen. We, we should have been starting back. What if you got drafted by the Steelers, and you know, you you graduated after Franco, right? And so, or right. before before Franco. I mean, like, what do you, mean, like, you mean I got drafted by the Steelers? No, I'm saying, what if, like, what if you got drafted by like a team that like actually gave you a chance, right? right. Like, like a team that needed a running back and wanted well, and, like let, let, me tell you, on you. let me tell you something. And I was talking to Franco this summer. With his rookie year, the players on the team thought he was going to be a bust. <laughs> they just said, why we draft him? He told me this. Why we draft him? He's lousy. He's going to be a bust. And look how he turned out. <laughs> look how he turned out. And then, Lydell, the day I got released from the Colts, they also released Lydell. But Joe Thomas, the, the general manager, told McCafferty, you had to keep him. You had to keep him. And then he, they both told me these stories. Otherwise, they'd have been gone too. <laughs> I mean, do you, you met, you said, you know, like your heart just wasn't in it. Like, what like if you got that opportunity, do you think you would have ended up retiring early anyway? Or, uh, and like pursuing like no. a different route? Or do you think you would have actually, like, there's a chance you could have stuck with it if you someone gave you the right opportunity? If they gave me the right, and I don't want this to sound like sound great. So no, it, it, and, no, no, no. You you do not come, you do not come off that way at all. This is just kind of how it how it was. Yeah. Um, 
No, if if I'd have gotten the opportunity and had played and done well, I probably would have gotten better, better, right. better, yeah, yeah. because I'd have been more comfortable in the in the locker room. I would have more confidence. More, I would just I would only have gotten better. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, pros didn't work out. Um, you know, you move on. You 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 have a you start a family. You have a son, right? <clears throat> and your son played football as well, right? Uh, was that something that you like? You wanted him to do. You wanted him to play football and, yeah. and pursue, pursue that. So, what was it like? For your son, because I know you, you guys, you and your son wrote this book together about playing for Paterno. What was it like to watch your son play for Penn State that first game when he runs out of the tunnel and the band's playing the song and they got the fireworks going off and it's the '90s and you know those teams were were killing it. Thirty years after you did, uh, what what was that like? It's 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 amazing to see your son following your footsteps. And all you're hoping is that it doesn't become a burden for him. Yeah. Make, you want to make sure that he could handle that, that he's doing what he really wants to do, and he's having fun doing it, and that he excels and, and he does well at it. And Tony, all that worked for him. He wanted to do it. He excelled at it. He got good at it. And he played well. So naturally, when he's doing well, I'm doing well. So I was happy for him. Um, and I watched him play. Uh, right on up from high school on up, uh, my, a lot of kids start playing football in a peewee league and stuff like this. My kids, Tony, I didn't let him play until he was in like the ninth grade. I didn't think he needed needed that. As long as he could, he could compete in other sports like soccer and track, I think um, he needed to let his body develop before he played football. And people would say, Charles, I think you're making a mistake. I think, yes, no, I'm not making a mistake. <laughs> not a mistake. So, and um, as it turned out, it was not a mistake. He, he played well at in Erie, Pennsylvania. He uh, was a Russian leader. Went, then he went to Andover. He was the best athlete in the school. He was also the smartest kid in the school at Andover. So he did well there. And then... He went to Penn State, and Joe Paterno tried to coax him out of coming to Penn State, but go to Harvard, Yale, or Princeton because he had got accepted at all those Ivy League schools. He was he was a smart guy. He was really a yeah. smart kid. And uh, but he he had heard the Penn State stories all his life. He knew Lot Ellen Franco and all. He knew all the Penn State players. How can he not go there? He had the itch. He had the itch. Yeah. So he, so he had to go there and play, and he did well. He's um, Led the team in interceptions his senior year. Never lost a game that he started either. He had a very successful college career, academically and athletically. He did well. His life has been good. Do you think he could tackle you if you guys were both in your prime? Uh, well, I'm I'm bigger, but the thing is, athletes get bigger, stronger, faster over time. Mm-hmm. And so and more athletic. I think I think as it turns out, he would be more athletic. He's more athletic than I was. So it, it, probably what, could. What's his size? What what is he what is he sitting there? Right now I think he's five ten and five ten and a half or five eleven, about a hundred and he played at about hundred and eighty pounds. Oh, so like not at you you guys are pretty Yeah, pretty he just didn't, he just didn't grow tall. 
Right, right, right. Uh, whose team would win head to head? Now I know playing styles are very different. Well, you know, but there's a pride. Had, there's a pride, had, there's a pride had, factor here. We talked about this not too long ago, Tony and I. They had the, they had the best offensive team in Penn State history. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really good. Uh, Kerry Collins, Kajana Carter, all. Oh yeah. Great car. Um, that was '94, right? Yeah. That was they were really good. 12-0, undefeated. Undefeated, high-powered offense. And we had what we think was the best defense. So it would be a, it would be tough because the best offense would be going against the best defense in Penn State history. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty epic, huh? It'd be pretty epic, yeah. <laughs> so both of you, neither of you lost a game ever. That we started, right. That you started. 45-01. One can make the argument that you're the best father-son duo in the history of college football. Where do you stand on that? Uh, I don't think there's any comparison. There is none other, no other. You name you name a father and son that never lost a game. That they started. I don't think you can. I don't think you can and either. Even if you could. Even if you could. And they both were academic All-Americans. No. No, you guys got that locked up. We got that locked up. You guys got that locked up for I sure. think we got a lock on that. All right. Charles, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, it is an absolute pleasure to finally get to talk with you. Uh, we've been meaning to do this for a long time, and I'm okay. really happy that we get to do it in this in this setting. Um, yeah, well, you did a wonderful job, and you, and you took it. You took it to a place that no one else has ever done in an interview. So I like that. You did a well, thank you. I appreciate that. I very appreciate nice. you that. All right, folks. Thank you very much for listening. Charlie Pitt. Charles, if you want to uh plug anything, your book, anything at all, yeah. you do so now. No. No, no what's, name, what's what's the name of your book called? Let the Playing for Paterno. All Playing right, for folks. Paterno. Playing for Paterno. You can get that uh wherever you get Amazon. books. Amazon place like that yeah place like that Barnes and Noble they still Barnes and Noble right, right. <laughs> Charles Pittman thank you very much thanks Jesse alright and that'll do it for us here at the ground floor for myself and producer Andrew thank you for listening and we will see you next week <laughs>